Together for Grace. Let's talk about what our part is in the body of Christ, and we'll continue our study as we started it last week. Today's message is under construction. We are all under construction. Nobody has arrived. We, uh, Christianity is not an arrival, it's a pursuit. It's a journey. And what you want to learn on the journey is the things that God has for you, the things that he has for me. So we're constantly under construction. You know about construction living in Houston. Uh, you can be born here, You can live all of your life here and die here and still not have completed construction on 288, the Beltway, uh, I-45, whatever it is. So we understand, listen, you can lose your life on Dixie Farm Road. You can. Seriously, there are potholes bigger than this building, and it's amazing. But one of the things that we need to do is understand for all of us, In the body of Christ, we're under construction. So I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk. I pray that you will go away from here with your eyes open and your heart upward toward God to say, God, whatever you want to do in me, in me, do it. I'm available. I want to participate in the gospel of grace. So here's what Paul says. Let's just read the text first. We did verses 1 through 5 last week. I told you I didn't have to study because I studied through verse 11. So I'm good to go. It's good. So here's what Paul says. He's coming out of talking about fellowship in verse 5. And here's what he said. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how I greatly long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ Jesus, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Is that not good stuff? That's amazing. It's amazing that we're talking about that on this day. So let's talk about being under construction because here's what Paul says in verse 6. He said, you can have confidence. The word confidence means you can have a settled assurance. You can know this for sure. My mama, you say, you can know this for sure. So you can know this for sure. You can have a confidence. And it's an interesting thing here, being confident of this very thing. What's he been talking to us about? He's been talking to us about being in Christ, being in Philippi is what he's talked about to the believers in Philippi. So we're in Christ. We're in Philippi is what Paul is writing to this church. So when you look at this verse, we've always taken this verse and we've always applied it to ourselves. But it's actually the application of it should be to the church. So I got good news for Sagemont Church. We are in Christ. We are in Houston, Texas. We're not in Philippi, but we're in Christ. We're in Houston, Texas. And so we have an opportunity for God to continue the work at this church as he has done. What a great foundation God has laid 53 years ago. And we've seen many miraculous things through the years at our church. But this church does not belong to the people. It belongs to the Lord. Let me just say that again. This church does not belong to the people. It belongs to the Lord. This is his church, right? 
So it doesn't belong to a pastor. It doesn't belong to a staff. It doesn't belong to the deacons. It doesn't belong to you or me. It belongs to the Lord. So if you have the right perspective and you have the right vision for that, I can be confident today to know that nothing depends on my ability or my disability. It depends on the Lord, but it depends on me being faithful to the one who is faithful to us. So what I can do is I can surrender my life to him and I can be confident of this. So being confident, Paul says this, I want you to see it. Being confident of this very thing, that God's grace has touched the people at Philippi, that God's grace has touched the people at Sagemont, that we're partakers of grace, we're partakers in giving, and we're partakers in the mission of the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying. So we can be confident, verse 6, of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So notice what the text says, he began the work. You did not begin the work. God began his work in our lives. It's the divine enablement of God. God initiates salvation. We don't begin that work ourselves. It's not something that we manufacture. God begins the work. It's his divine initiative and it's his divine enabler. It's his work from the beginning. It's his work all the way to the end. It's his work all the way in between. And he began the good work. If you are saved today, if you've trusted Christ as your savior, then God began that good work and he's doing it in you. He started it. He initiated in your life and you simply responded by faith to the gospel and said, yes, I want to be a part of what you're offering me. I would like to be saved from my sins. I desire to see you do something in my life. Now notice the text. So it's God's work. Let's always remember that here at Sagemont. It's always been God's work. It will continue to be God's work. You may be here, I may be here. You may not be here, I may not be here. But it is always God's work. So let's put the focus on the one whose work it is. Let's make sure that we don't get sidetracked during a time of transition and try to figure things out or try to manufacture things or try to say, well, I have an agenda. No, let's just serve the Lord with a pure heart and a free heart and let's say, God, this is your work. This is your church. You began this. Look at the text. And he says, not only is it God's work, it's a good work. Do you know why it's a good work? Because God is good. He's good. You say, I'm here this morning, and I know it's God's work, but it looks bad for me. Can I tell you something? If it looks bad for you, that's actually good news because that means that the good is not out of the bad yet, so it's not over for you. It would be bad if it was over, but because you don't see the good and God sees the good, it's a good work, and he's going to do that work in his timing, in his way, for his purpose, and all for his glory. So it may not look like something today that is packaged together and looks really nice for you. And you may say, God, I just feel like I'm getting pounded to death and pounded to death. Listen, it's a good work that God is doing in your life and in my life. And it's always been his work. So salvation is a work for you. That's where Christ comes to save us from our sins. So salvation is a work for you. Uh, the good work is a work that he doesn't say among you. He says the good work, look at the text in you. It's not a work among you, it's a work in you. You see, for the rest of our lives, sanctification, Christ working on us, conforming us into his image, how long does that happen? For the rest of our lives. 
For the rest of the time that this church is here on this earth, God is going to continue to work. He's going to continue to chip away at the rough edges of my life and the rough edges of your life so that he could chip away. And then there's this beautiful masterpiece that's coming forward as he chips away. And we don't like the chipping away and we don't like the etching and things that God does. But listen, he's a good God and he's doing a good work. So it's not bad what's happening. It's actually good what's happening because the goodness comes from who God is. It's his very character. That's who he is. Paul says, verse 6, it's a good work in you and he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What that means is he's going to flow his love through your life to other people. He's going to release his love through you. The good work that God is doing in your life and the good work that God is doing in my life, he wants to flow it through you and through me. In a transition time, we can allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives. As we put ourselves on the altar and we say, I am the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice on the altar, Lord. I want to be what you want me to be. So it's a God's work. It's a good work. And it's a growing work. And so we can see how God does that in our lives. For some of you this morning, your heart is torn. You're facing a situation that is bad or difficult or challenging. I want you to understand that God can use that situation. And it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to turn it around for what you think is good. It just means he's going to use you in that situation to bring glory to him. And that's totally up to him. He chooses to do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and how he wants to do it. Now, that's what Paul says. I had a 1970 Buick Skylark in high school. I wish I still had it. My dad and I started, uh, we, we, we got this thing and school starting, it was my senior year, or my junior year, I think it was when I got it, something like that. And it needed a lot of work. Man, I had Bondo all over me. I couldn't get Bondo off of me. We had sanded that thing. We had painted that thing. We didn't take it to Mako. We painted it ourselves in the driveway. I'm thinking, will we ever complete this car? Will we ever complete this project? And the answer I did not think was yes. But we finally completed this project, and it was a beautiful car, and it had beautiful paint, and we had beautiful seats, and all the hard work that we had put in was for the purpose of it being able to shine and it being able to go into the Dolby parking lot and for people to step back and go, wow. And when you think about your life, in my life, our life is to shine for God. Our life is to be a representation of all that he is. So he takes the torn spots so that we can shine in our life so that he can continue to do his work in our lives which leads us to verse 7 just as it is right look at this for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart see Paul had that special relationship with the Philippian church because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains he's in prison and in defense and confirmation of the gospel you were all partakers with me of grace so he's talking about being a partaker of grace with the people in Philippi. In other words, being dipped into grace. They were partakers of grace together in the gospel. So they were partners in the gospel. So the idea was that he would have defense and confirmation of the gospel. So the word defense is where we get our word apologetics from. And it means to answer to oneself about one's beliefs. To answer to someone about your beliefs. To give a defense. To, to stand up and give a defense for what you believe. And so we have that. And then a confirmation means 
to establish or ratify something to defend it in order to confirm it. So we do that with the gospel. So Paul's talking about this work that God is doing in the lives of the Philippian believers, and he says it's defending and confirming the gospel. We defend the gospel with our lips. We confirm the gospel with our lives, with the way that we live. The way that we live in our lives, that's how we confirm the gospel with people. But then he says you're all partakers of grace with me. You share in something together. That's what Paul's saying here. The word partaker is a little bit Deeper of a word than the word koinonia that he talked about being partners of the gospel. This is a word that's a little bit deeper than that. It means uh, sharing in something, sharing in the grace of God. So you and I are partakers together in the grace of God. Let me see if I can explain it to you. Recently, I I went on a cruise and they had a, a, a chocolate fountain on the cruise. So they have this fountain of chocolate. And then they got strawberries, watermelon mango, bananas, um, all kinds of fruit. And you can take, you put them on a skewer, you stick the fruit on a skewer and you dip it, if you will, rest it under the fountain of the chocolate that's coming down. And so what happens is the two things get fused together. The chocolate runs over the fruit. So if you want some healthy fruit, I I'm just encourage you, put chocolate on it. <laughs> Dark chocolate, eat one a day, it'll help your heart. Well, I don't know, you can't just eat just one. So the idea is, so you stick that fruit on a skewer, you take that skewer, partakers of grace, and then you put that fountain of chocolate and let it drip all over that, and then you've been dipped into a fusion and a union. So the picture is, when you eat that strawberry or that blueberry or whatever it is, it has been fused together. You're eating the oneness and the unity of that food. But the idea is you had to have the grace of the chocolate flow down on top of the fruit. And then I went a little further. I told you last week, I went a little further around the corner. And do you know what they had? Not just a chocolate fountain, a nacho cheese fountain. If I'm lying, I'm dying. And there was a kid. He was over there. He discovered it before I did. They had chips all around it. I'm explaining this word partaker to Sharon something. I'm not getting off the text here. I'm just trying to make application to you. Contemporary expository application oriented teaching. So I'm trying to get you to remember this. So the idea is there's this kid. He's got a chip in his hand. He doesn't get the plate and then get the fountain and the, uh, there's a little, there was a dipper there so you could grab the cheese and then you put it over. He's taking the chips and dipping it inside. The so- no, you don't do that, little, you little dip. I told that kid, I said, if you, get your hands out of there. I said, get your hands out. The little kid was dipping. And then I found out it was flour tortillas because we had them the night before. I told Leslie, these chips are really good. She said, they're flour tortillas. They're going bad. They're making them chips. They fried them and they're dipping them. And it's like you had, you had flour tortilla chips and you had cheese. And the, the picture is, so you've got a chocolate fountain with fruit. You've got a cheese fountain and chips. And the idea is they're being fused together as one. What I want you to see in the text is what Paul is saying is because we are partners in the gospel, we are also partakers of his grace. We have all been dipped by God's grace 
in Jesus Christ for those of us by faith who have trusted him. So we've been fused together. There's a oneness together. Christ is in me and I am in Christ. I am a partaker of his grace. It's grace on my life. It's grace on my family. It's grace on my church. Watch this. It's grace in your life. It's grace in your family and it's grace in your church. We are together for grace in this study. And Paul says what makes the church at Philippi so incredibly powerful is they're partakers. Notice what he says here with me of grace. That's the width of association. We're family. We're fellowship together. Let me go to the next verse. For God is my witness. Now, it's one thing for you to be a witness to me. It's another thing if God is my witness. Here's what the text says. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about their relationship. He's talking about the affection that they have for one another. The word affection there means to have your stomach tied in knots. And what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi in verse 8 is, I long to see you. I'm in prison. I'm in chains. But I long to see you with the affection of Jesus Christ. So what had happened to them is Paul had this great affection for the church at Philippi because God had been saved by the grace that the rest of them had been saved by. And so he had been a partaker and been dipped into the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and they had. And it produced a unifying relationship. When you walk these big hallways here, are there people that you take a, do you take a, a exit when you see people? Do you long, affectionately long to see people in here and get to know people? And when you walk through the halls, do you walk with peripheral vision because you have the affection of Jesus Christ? Get, lift your head up and walk and look like this. It's a beautiful thing when we begin to respond as the body of Christ. Now, Paul says they had this kind of relationship. One of the hallmarks of Sagemont Church is we have been living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And people will say about this church, they loved me. They loved me. It's an intentional love, and it's a love that comes from God to us in order that we might release it through us. So Paul says, verse 9, and this I pray. Here's what he says. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. In other words, they had Christ's love, but he said, I want it to abound more and more. I want you to continue to allow God to love through you because we need this river of love that's gushing from God when it hits your life, it needs to splash on other people. So we need that love to abound more and more. That's what the text says. But then he says, in knowledge and discernment. So, you know, water is, is wonderful when it's flowing. When you think about, you know, a river, a river that's flowing good is a good thing. But if the river jumps over its banks, you've got a problem. Water can be very destructive, i.e. Harvey or Imelda. I mean, I'm on a cruise and people are, there's 10,000 tropical storms out in the Atlantic and all around, and you know what's getting hit the worst? Houston. People say, where are you from? Houston. Oh, you know about Imelda? No, but I'm parked right by Hobby Airport, and my dog's in a kennel right by Hobby Airport. They're probably both, it's, it's probably over. But the idea is sometimes in our relationships, we think of knowledge and discernment that we don't have to have it. But Paul says, I want you to love, watch this, I want you to love excessively. I want the river of God's grace in your life to rush in a mighty way, but I don't want it to go over the bounds and be destructive. Here's the two banks of the river. Knowledge, look at the text, and discernment. Boy, we need knowledge and we need discernment. 
The word for knowledge here is a word that means experiential knowledge. You know, a lot of people since 1906 have been taking notes in their Bible. Don't send me an email. But they take notes in their Bible. They've got pads full of notes and stuff like this. But you know what? They've never moved information on a page to experience in a life. I'll say this. Some of the meanest people I know, I've been in some churches, are people who know the Bible really, really well but they don't ever experience the river of God's grace flowing through them. So it's pages on a book. If those pages on the book could ever be experienced in their own life, they would understand that the river of grace and the rushing mighty river of God's love that he wants to bestow on other people would have the bounds of knowledge. They would be able to experience the love that they've been reading about all their life. They would move from knowledge to application. They would get out of the sandbox and playing in the sandbox of life and they would understand there's real relationships and I've really hurt people and so I want to make sure that my love abounds more and more in knowledge. Knowledge is moving it from your head to your heart. It's experiencing all that God has. And then discernment is having that keen ability to discern when the guy's going to hit a two-run homer. Right? So some of you called it like I called it. Call it what it is. But anyway, you have to have discernment in the body of Christ. That's what Paul says. Now, notice what he says here. That, what's the purpose of all this? Remember, we're under construction. That you may approve the things which are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. The idea of the word sincere here means without wax. Back in biblical days, they would have pottery. They would sell pottery, and oftentimes those that were selling it would say, hey, this is a sincere pot. This is a sincere pottery. There's no cracks. The way you could know if there were cracks or wax in the pottery is you would just hold it up to the sunlight. They may say something with their lips, but the actual reality of it, as you hold it up in the sunlight, you could see the cracks or you could see the crevices. But people would sell pottery and say, it's sincere without offense. One of the things that God wants to do in our lives in our relationships, is make sure that we love sincerely without any offense. So there's no cracks in the armor, that we are so enveloped with God's love. And God's love has landed on us. And now that it has landed on us, that we may approve what is excellent. It's excellent because God's love is always excellent and without cracks and without offense till the day of Christ. Can I tell you something? If you're not loving people in the body of Christ, you're missing out on exactly what God wants to do in your life. We can't love them out there until we love them in here. Your witness in here is far more important than your witness out there. You say, oh, I'm a church. We witness outside the walls. You don't witness inside the walls. We witness inside the walls by how we love one another, how our love abounds more and more in knowledge and discernment. In other words, the world should see those of us in this room loving on each other and say, hey, I would like to have and be a partaker of grace with you because of the love that you have. This church has many, many stories about people loving each other inside the walls. I may have told you this. I spoke at a conference one time, and the man before me talked about evangelism. Wonderful thing. Evangelism, 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 evangelism. All outside the walls. Wonderful thing. I followed him at the conference, and guess what my topic was that they gave me? how to love people on the inside. 
And here's what I said. Guys, what you just heard will never happen until you begin to love on the inside of this church. And there are a lot of churches that close their doors because people can't love on the inside. I want to tell you today, you and I don't have the ability to conjure up a powerful enough love. But if we'll surrender to the one who has loved us, and then his love abounds more and more in knowledge and discernment, we'll have a message for the world and a continued message for the world, for the future of Sagemont Church and for the glory of God for the rest of our life, if we will love each other on the inside. Because when you love people on the inside, it translates on the outside. This church has a tremendous reputation of loving people on the outside. And we do have a tremendous reputation of loving people on the inside. Let's make sure we protect the unity. Let's make sure we preserve the unity. We can't produce it. God does. But we can preserve it. Verse 11, and I'm coming home. Being filled, Paul says, he's talking about relationships. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Well, what's the fruits of righteousness? It's Christ's righteousness flowing through us. That's how it is. So being filled, filled to the fullness, filled to the brim, filled to overflowing. There's grace in our lives that God has dispensed in us. And now that grace is being dispensed on other people. And the fruit of the righteousness that we're being filled with is God's Holy Spirit. And so God's Holy Spirit has set us on the rock of righteousness. It's not our works that did it. It was God's grace that did it. And he rescued us from sin. And it says this, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Let's be a church that understands what that means. Let's be filled. Let's continually be filled. Paul talked about it in Ephesians. Let me see if I can give you an illustration and bring it home. When I went on my honeymoon in 1989, went to Hawaii, and uh, we had rain for four days because it was the rainy season. They said, it's a risk if you come in April. So uh, anyway, we were there for four days or longer than that. But anyway, there was this buffet at the place we were staying and I kept telling Leslie, my wife, I said, you know, the milk here in Hawaii is a lot wider. It looks richer. It looks purer. And so all week long, I was just out of this dispenser. I was being filled with this milk that came out of this dispenser, but it wasn't labeled. And so one day, I'm looking back on it now going, she's smart. She said, walk me over to the dispenser that you're getting the milk from. Because all of a sudden, my pants stopped fitting. My shorts got tight. This is in a few days. And I went over to the dispenser and I said, this is the one right here. And I pulled it back and I'm telling you, just white pouring milk flowing. It's just beautiful. And I said, the milk in Hawaii is above board. It's just beautiful. And she said, do you read that right there? And I said, what are you talking about? It says half and half. <laughs> do you know what I was being filled with? A bunch of fat. I gained 15 pounds. In seven days. I'm not, I'm not lying. This is the truth. Because I did not know what the little bitty label read. And I kept saying, the milk is good. The milk is really good in Hawaii. It's really good. Here's what I want to tell you in closing. Listen. The milk of God's grace, God's love, God's favor, God flowing his love through you and through me is absolutely rich. Just keep pouring it on, Lord. Just let it dispense out of that. Give us grace. Let us be partakers of your grace. Let us be uh, partners in the gospel. And let us see you prepare our hearts for whatever you have for us. Whoever you have for us, God, we just want to be available to you. And we want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which is who you are. So don't fill me with 
myself, fill me with you. Because when I'm filled with you, when something happens in my life that goes awry, if I come out and, and Christ doesn't come out in me, it's devastation, it's destruction, it's flesh. But when I'm filled with the fruit of righteousness in his life, he beautifully splashes grace on people. And some of you this morning need a splash of grace in your life. You really don't have the ability to love. You don't have the ability to do any of what I've talked about because Christ does not live in your heart. And today, you can experience verse 6 that says, God says, he'll begin this work in you. For some of you, God's drawing you today to himself. It's his work. He's initiating salvation. You sense it in your heart. You're being drawn by the Holy Spirit. Would you just say yes today? Just surrender to him. Say, Jesus, save me. God will begin this work in you today. And your marriage can change. Your job can change. Not necessarily the circumstances in the situation, but who you are in the situation. Because God in you is greater than that work that's happening around you. And so what you can do is just say yes to him. But it begins in a relationship with salvation. I would encourage you today, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, to do that so that you can really know what it's like to love. Some of you are trying to love people. And you're saying, I'm trying. I'm trying to hang in there on that marriage. I'm trying to hang in there at work. Listen, say, God, I can't love. God, I quit loving. I want to quit today. And you quit in your own power. And you surrender to his power. And you watch what God does on Monday morning in your life. He'll begin to love your boss through you and your boss will be so surprised he'll want to know what happened to you. And you say, I've got filled with the fruit of righteousness, Christ in me. No matter what happens to you, God can work in you in an amazing way. Let's be a church. Yeah, we're under construction. But let's let God continue to do what God wants to do in our life for his glory. That's what the text says, to the glory and the praise of God. You know how God gets glory? When we love each other with his kind of love. It glorifies him because the love comes from him. God does it. It's an amazing thing. 